listener production. Uh, okay, cool. <clears throat> Ready? Mm-hmm. Lindsay Lou, how are you? Jacob, I don't think I've had Lindsay Lou just yet. I think it fits you very nicely, <laughs> especially with that cute little pinafore you're wearing. Very adorable ensemble. Oh, I feel very much like a little girl, but... <laughs> I don't mean to infantilise you, I'm so sorry. How are you, honey? How was your week? Uh, very good week. Uh, I feel like it's coming up to the end of the year time mm. where it's not quite the time of year where you start getting invites for Christmas parties, but you yeah. know it's coming, so you yep. feel like you need to start mentally preparing yourself for the end of the year. Yeah, take a little bit of a breather and get ready for a big finish. Remember, mm-hmm. this is the, the crescendo of the big trilogy What's of the coming? 2020s. Something big is around the corner, I'm telling you. Um, you went to a very fancy event last night though, right? I did. Fancy for some people, not particularly fancy for me. I went along as a guest of Sean Zepps, who's the host of another podcast I produce here. Come out wherever you are. We good went friend to the pod and very good friend. Brilliant show. Uh, we went to the premiere of the new movie Bros with Billy Eichner and Luke McFarlane, um, which is the first gay rom-com from a major studio mm. uh, because Sean was interviewing the guys today and the episode is out uh, when everyone hears it today mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really, really, really fun yeah. and very silly, very camp, like what you would expect from a rom-com, mm-hmm. um, but just so strange to see sex scenes and kissing scenes with two men. Like if you go and see Mm. like Queer Screen or Melbourne Queer Film Festival, like you're kind of used to seeing these scenes already, but Mm. seeing it like at a Hoyt's cinema. Yeah, in a Judd Apatow movie. Yeah, it's just Mm. very new but good. So I would definitely, when it comes out, it's coming out at the end of the month, Mm -hmm. definitely recommend going and seeing and have a bit of a laugh. It's very fun. I'm dying to go see it and I'm absolutely going to see it in cinema probably multiple times because mm-hmm. it's one of those movies that I think is really important to support because it is such a massive um, step and it was a really big gamble for that studio. So it'd be really wonderful if they could see how many people um, get behind the film and go see it in cinema. Um, historic film, which I hear, yeah, is actually really, really hilarious. Yeah, um, that's really the most important it. thing the critics have said. It is laugh out loud side-splittingly funny. Um, So, hey, how much fun did we have recording this episode with Miss Abigail Chatfield? It was so much fun. Just one of the most wild stories I think I've ever heard on Mm. Just a Gist. Yeah, it's kind of hard to believe. (laughs) I know. I check a lot of sources. Um, But, yeah, it's absolutely wild and it was just so much fun doing it with Abby because um, she just reacts in such a strong way. Um, She was saying yesterday on her podcast, it's a lot that she couldn't stop thinking about the story for hours and hours after we finished recording. She said it haunted her ongoing um, and she may have struggled sleeping a little bit after listening to it. Um, That's not a warning, guys. Don't worry. You you hopefully won't lose sleep after listening to this story. But did you have a similar experience, Lindsay Lou? I haven't had any kind of haunting memories, but... It did make me think that when I was growing up and going through the kind of Rolodex of different careers that I would thought that I would be interested in, mm. one of them was being a flight attendant uh-huh. because I think the idea of being a flight attendant is like really sexy. Like you get to fly mm. all the time, you get to stay in hotels, but then you get a bit older and you realise the reality is probably like a lot of sitting around and also just like 
customer service in the sky yeah. um, with customers who, generally speaking, are probably not that nice to you. Mm. And it has definitely made me reconsider in my semi-regular existential crises about what I'm going to do with the rest <laughs> of my time on earth, that flight attendant would probably not be the job for me, mm. but then also made me have, not that I didn't respect flight attendants before this, but just mm. so much more respect for what kind of responsibility they have in their job. Oh yeah, it's absolutely enormous. Yeah, way too much for me. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the good thing was flight attendant was ruled out for me anyway because I'm too tall. I'm beyond oh. the cutoff point. Yeah, so even though I briefly considered it, I was just ruled out straight away. That's interesting. Um, I didn't realize that that was a thing, but obviously it makes sense. Yeah. Um, well, I was I wasn't really haunted by the story, just sort of lightly, I suppose, and only when I was boarding the plane to come down mm. here to Melbourne a few days after we recorded with Abby and I was sort of imagining um, what explosive decompression would look like as I was getting on the plane and feeling totally calm and at peace with the idea that, like, if it happens, it happens, there's nothing I can do about it until I saw the world's most beautiful seeing eye dog in oh. row three <laughs> and having the thought of that little love being impacted by any sort of... Um, bad activity or crash or something happening with the plane. It's the first time that I really felt like the stakes were super high and I wanted everything to go super smoothly on the flight. Um, Before we get into the Abby story, I believe you've got something that you would like to share with me and the listeners. Yes, this popped up on my twitter.com. I think Mm -hmm. maybe when I was going home from recording Abby's episode this week and I was like, oh, this is perfect. I'll bring this up with Jacob next week, which is a nice uh, intersection, I think, of a couple of different interests of ours on Mm -hmm. Just the Gist, particularly the bots writing obituaries or bots (laughs) writing anything. And and also Britney Spears' Instagram accounts Uh read live by Rosie Ward uh-huh. And this tweet showed up in my feed from an account called at State of LinkedIn. And mm. I don't know, Jacob, when you're working in a corporate job, if you spent mm. much time on LinkedIn mm. and saw the kind of posts that people would post on there. Oh, I've seen a few. I've got the flavour. I've definitely been sent some screenshots of some extreme examples. Um Yep, so I, I, I get the vibe. Yeah, so just context for anyone who doesn't spend a lot of time on LinkedIn or hasn't seen the theme of the screenshots that we're referring to, there's a bit of a culture of like like hustle culture, grind, mm. work really hard, uh, be, I guess, like uh, humble to a certain extent, but also really brag about everything oh, that yeah. you're doing in a really not so subtle way. And this account at State of LinkedIn just post screenshots of some of the worst examples they have come across. So I've selected three. Excellent. Okay, the first one. I was taking an interview on Zoom. The candidate's Wi-Fi was bad. This is not acceptable. Interview is over. I told him (laughs) as I got irritated. Later, he mailed me and requested to give him another chance. I ignored. (laughs) The other day, I was in a meeting when my Wi-Fi was not working. The client shut the call instantly and sent me a mail which stated, you have lost your chance. We don't work with unprofessional people. I felt really bad and thought, I'm not unprofessional. It was the net, exclamation point. At that exact moment, remembered the candidate. I quickly opened my mail and replied to him, 
asking if evening 7pm would suit him. He agreed and I was relieved. Truly, (laughs) truly, as you sow, so you shall reap. Always be empathetic towards others. Don't wait for karma to teach you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think there's something in that for all of us. How moving. (laughs) Yes, so that was a very valuable lesson that we all got Uh from that post. (laughs) The next one is a bit more Britney Spears style with some emojis. Mm. Uh, So this goes... Day two of living in Dubai and I lost my wallet, crying face emoji. My wallet with 12 bank cards, my driving license and dot, 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 my Emirates ID. Broken heart emoji. Just a side note, the Emirates ID was the worst thing to lose. I need it for everything out here. I was devastated. Devastated emoji. I retraced steps, checked with every venue, security, reported as lost to the police, had a mini breakdown, and then started the process to get a new Emirates ID. I didn't bother calling my bank... I didn't bother cancelling any bank cards, shrug emoji, as no one would have stolen it out here. Everyone told me things usually turn up in Dubai, but I just had no hope, as sadly, in the UK, that would be very unlikely. A few days went by, dot, dot, dot. Got a call, phone emoji, yesterday from the police station, quite far away. We have your wallet. A taxi man handed it in after trying ages to find me, praise hands emoji. I've just been to pick it up with every single thing still in it, love heart emoji. People keep asking me why I moved out here. Aside from the sunshine, sun emoji, tax savings, bag of money emoji, cleanliness, soap emoji, amazing lifestyle, yacht emoji, dot, dot, dot. It's so safe, so safe in all caps with that emoji where it's a little love heart falling around their face. Mm-hmm. And then the next is dot points and all the dots are the emoji of the green tick. Mm-hmm. My kids can be out of sight. No, don't worry. I can walk to the mall alone at night and not worry. I can get cash out without shielding my pin. I can lose my wallet and get it back. If you're interested in setting up a business in Dubai, send me a DM and let's chat. Peace emoji. Off to cuddle my Emirates ID and put one of my many Apple AirTags in my wallet. Uh, the emoji of the woman with a handprint over her face and a photo of her Louis Vuitton wallet with the Emirates ID sticking out of the top. <laughs> So very relatable. <laughs> oh, what a flog. Oh, I hope she's involved in an MLM, to be honest. Yeah. And she thinks that that was a really effective way to recruit people for her downstream. And then the last one, this is the one that got me onto the account. 4.30am, I wake up instantly from the fogginess of dreams to the readiness of full consciousness, mm. as I have done for over 15 years. A quick kiss to my wife's sleep head, my wife's sleep head. I proceed into my morning routine. Glancing into my children's room, somewhat envious of the sleep of youth, I proceed downstairs to the kitchen, the smell of freshly brewed coffee filling my senses. Peering out the window, the calming darkness remains. Intermediate havens of light shine as beacons from my dozen backyard ambience lights, enhancing the beauty of the winter landscape. Coffee in hand, I head to the office. The glow of 24 screens erupts to life as I enter. Alexa automatically begins unrolling my day, highlighting my agenda, meetings, calls, activities, both personal and corporate. Eyes open. I feel the energy, the excitement, the passion. A new day begins. And it ends with a photo of him taking a mirror selfie and on the mirror is um, like decal stickers with a new day begins. 
<laughs> Corporate poetry. I would highly recommend, well, I'll put the link in the show notes uh, to look at that Twitter account. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fun. Well, Lindsay, thank you very much. That was hilarious. You're welcome. So we should go ahead and jump into Abigail Chatfield's episode now, yes. uh, the story of British Airways Flight 5390. Um, enjoy the episode, everyone. I think you'll really, really love it. Um, it's quite a wild ride. Have fun. Catch you later. Okay. Okay. Well, I'll rush through the intro because we've got to let you go do your proper radio job <laughs> in a little bit. But hello, Gistners. Welcome back to Just the Gist, a weekly-ish podcast in which ordinarily Rosie Waterland and I, Jacob Stanley, give you just the gist of what you need to know about a story we think you'll find interesting enough to share at a dinner party. While Rosie's taking a little break to look after her health, we've got some extra special guest judges and we've got a return guest judge, guest host. You I can tell I've been watching well. too much. <laughs> You're judging me? Yeah. Judging Lindsay? <laughs> just judging all of us. Yeah. Um, please welcome back to the show the music Physically gifted, generously lubricated, <laughs> recent therapy graduate, Miss Abigail Chatfield. Hello, everyone. I'm so stoked to be back. We, that was I like Trisha really Paytas vibes, what you just did then. You're Trisha Paytas? I don't know who that is, no. I think you need to do a job. Okay. One day, mm. I'm going to give you a just the gist on Deal. Trisha Paytas. Deal. Holy shit. If you know, you know everyone. If you don't, look up Trisha Paytas. I think she's on America's Got Talent. Mm. She, the, she tried to, like, speak as fast as she could. Okay. But that was one of the millions of things she's done. She's, um, I'm going to give you a little lowdown now. Okay. She's um, been an Eminem music video. She's been a YouTuber for 15 years. Mm. She had a baby recently called Malibu Barbie. She, <gasps> oh, Trisha oh. Paytas, babe. And it's Queen Elizabeth reincarnated. Yeah. One day I will return the favour and we'll have a dinner and I'll explain to you in detail PowerPoints, Trisha Paytas. Deal. Fantastic. Anyway, remind me of her. Yay. All right, so it's been a couple of months since we had you Mm. on the show. Have you been up to much? (laughs) Nah. Not a lot going on? I'm looking for work at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) on um no uh just what's been what's happened i did the masked singer was that How before was that? Or after that was after you were just about to start filming the next day after we recorded oh my god mm. yes um it was great mel b was fantastic osha's an angel um uh chrissy's my new best friend Husey is a great it was just so much fun um what else happened? I Can I just say it looked like you were having an absolute hoot and I was already jealous that you got to make friends with the scariest Spice Girl, the oh. spiciest Spice Girl. You also got to meet one of Destiny's children, Michelle Williams. What was that and like? I cried because... I don't I, blame you. I would have done the same thing. I was standing there. Well, first of all, Mel B, the day, the day before this, gave me a Spice World T-shirt that was her <gasps> T-shirt. So I have one of Mel B's actual Stop shirts that Spice World on it. Side oh. note. <laughs> I know, I know. It's not getting washed ever. It's like folded away like in the back corner. I'm like, I'm never getting rid of her beautiful, sweet perfume from it. Um, but when I when when it was revealed that it was Michelle Williams, I was like, what is going on? How am I sitting next to a Spice Girl and seeing 20 metres from me someone from Destiny's chart? Like it was my my brain imploded. Mm. And then the next night we had a pussycat doll yeah. on Melody. And I was like, this is just so surreal. Like I don't mm. often get starstruck. But, like, that was too much my brain to handle. Like, yeah. I was, like, in year one and two when they were really big. Mm. So, for me, it was, like, my absolute idols. But, yeah, it was great. I loved it. Yay. It looked like you were having an absolute mm. blast. It was fun. Despite the very long filming days, it was still really fun, which is which means it's actually good. You Sensational. Know? Mm. Yeah. Now, we've been playing a bit of a game with our guests recently. Mm-hmm. We didn't do this with you last time. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of putting you on the spot here. Oh. I should have warned you up front. 
to prepare three statements about yourself. Yes, yeah, so, so I can actually play two truths and a lie. was listening to the episode with that hot man. Yeah. <laughs> the other day, and I was like, what would mine be? Because I was like, I know I'm coming on soon again. What's mine going to be? I hope they don't ask me. Let me, give me a moment. Take your time. Okay, let me think, let me think, let me think, let me think. Okay. Hang on, they're all lies. <laughs> <laughs> okay. When I, okay, when I was younger, they're all childhood truths and lies. Uh-huh. I don't really have any interesting stories in my adulthood that people don't know because I tell everyone everything at the minute it happens. So I can't get away with it. Okay. When I was younger, I was in the Australian Youth Choir and in that Qantas ad. Uh huh. <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, fine. That's a lie. That's a lie. Yeah, we clocked that <laughs> it one. It wasn't the Australian Youth Choir. It was in the Qantas ad because it was, that was the Australian Kids <laughs> Choir or something. Let me think of different ones because I'm stressed. Do you know what? Why don't we park it? We'll save it for next Let's time. Let's park it, guys, because yep. here's the thing. I'm bad at lying, as we learned this then. <laughs> I'm very bad at lying and I panic. And also, I'm not very creative when it comes to, like, silly things would happen to me because the thing is my life is very silly. It's like sitting next to Mel B., <laughs> Pretty fucking silly. I should have fucking, I should have saved the T-shirt thing. <gasps> I should have saved the T-shirt thing and gone, I have one of Mel B's T-shirts. So sorry, Jacob. Um, all right, just another reason truths. for you to come back. Tell me all about Trisha Paytas. Um, That's it, that baby. Yes. That's it. Uh-huh. Sorry, everyone. Very, very boring girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and just before we jump into our story, which, by the way, is a banana story, I'm telling you this time around, Um your podcast, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. It keeps getting better and better and better. It seems like you're just having so much fun with it and you've been getting some fantastic guests yes. recently. Um, so I wanted to ask you, what have been some of your standout favourites that you would maybe suggest to our listeners if they haven't checked out It's A Lot yet? Are there any particular guest episodes that you reckon they should check out? One of my favourites is one of the most recent ones with Angela White, mm. who is, she has a degree in gender studies, but she's also a porn producer and a porn star. So she has like the perfect intersection of knowledge. She's also on my pilot. So that's <laughs> how I ended up getting in contact with her. Um, I think as well, like not to be um, a wanker, but I think my solo episodes recently have been very chaotic. Oh, and um, candid. And yeah. Ca- <laughs> <laughs> So I'm like, I think that I think they're always fun because I'm like single again. I'm just telling everything on the podcast. But also, if you want like snappy, quick ones, we have Nightmare Fuels every Friday. And I think some people just listen to those because, I mean, they're basically just like little bits of gossip every week. They're between like 10 and 10 minutes to half an hour long usually. Mm-hmm. And people, our listeners send in voice notes and they tell us the worst thing that's happened to them. Not like dark things. It's like... Awful dates, awful sex stories, bad bosses, bad experiences. So I think that's a good starting point to get a vibe uh-huh. for who I am yep. and they're very quick. Good gateway drug. Mm-hmm. We'll Absolutely. Put, um, a few links to some of our favourites in the show notes. Thanks, and I really want to call out your conversation with Lem where you were sort of getting to know your producer, Lem, a bit more. Yes. Fascinating, absolutely sensational discussion. So I'd really love everyone to go and check that <laughs> yeah, one out. Maybe I should have mentioned the Lem one. Lem is our gorgeous producer. She's a um, refugee from uh, Jordan. She's lesbian. She's just, I just love her. And she's been with me since um, since the podcast, a year and a half really, since before I came over to listen to us. So she's an angel. 
Yeah. Love it. Superstar. Mm. Um, okay. I'm ready. Are we ready? I'm ready. I've been listening to everyone else's um, guest episodes and I'm like, when's it my turn again? Oh, so finally excited. came around. She's back. All right. So, yeah, like I said, this one is bananas. This is the story of the time the window on the cockpit of a plane blew off mid-flight. The pilot got sucked out of the hole where the window once was and then the co-pilot had to try to safely land the plane. This is just the gist of British Airways Flight 5390. Okay, here's the thing. I have a pretty bad fear of flying. Oh, do you? I was going to ask. Oh. No, I'm ready. No, this time I feel better because I feel like maybe it, do- it ends up okay despite things going wrong. Not really sure. Fingers crossed. Every time I get in a plane, I look I'm not kidding. I walk down the aisles and I look at everyone's faces and I go, I might die with you all today. In my head. <laughs> what a beautiful ritual. <laughs> I think this could be see babies. I go, gosh, that and I look at some people's face, I go, you look like you die in a plane crash. I don't know. Very non very nondescript, you know what I mean? Like nothing really about you. Then I think do I like and I go, imagine the headlines like Abby Chatfield dead in a plane crash. And like, you know what I mean? Everyone who wanted that mass singer job would be so happy. <laughs> Thank God, she deserve it anyway. So yeah, very. And I fly like twice a week, uh-huh. and every time, I like, I I I can't breathe. I went to Dubbo recently on those little planes. Mm. I screamed on the flight. Like I'm I'm. Oh, you're one of them. Quite bad, and like uh-huh. I'll call my mum before a flight so I love her in case I die. Like uh-huh. it's not good. Okay, all right. So, so this is going to be like an extended nightmare fuel for you. Yeah, yeah. isn't that great? Mm. Oh my god, I love a hybrid episode. We love it. <laughs> All right, let's see how we go, though. Are you a nervous flyer, Lindsay? I'm not a nervous flyer. I actually really love flying, but I, whenever I'm seated in an exit row, I always ask to be moved because oh. when they ask, like, are you re- willing and ready to assist in an emergency, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not. By the time it's sinking, I'm ready to go. I'm not, <laughs> I don't. I'm not particularly inclined to help anybody else. Oh my god! You just god. want to enjoy your final few moments yeah. in peace. You know what? No, you don't want tasks. No, don't want that's an no responsibility. You actually. No, I always want to be right there so I can I can get out. Like it's not like a saviorism thing. It's like I want to be the first one to get out. The other day, I was on a plane in a middle seat for the first time in a long time, and I was mm. like. You wouldn't, you wouldn't move for me. The person next to me was like, I know they seemed quite grumpy. It was like a businessman and I was like, you'd be selfish and you push me out of the way. Like, I, I think that every time I'm on the plane I think, where's the exit? Who's going who's gonna to go in front of me? Who will push me over? Who will be selfish? Oh, wow. It's really weird. It's, is that weird? Is that normal? Uh, it's the opposite to my own experience is all I can say. And Who's to say who's right, who's wrong? I'm always so chilled flying and anytime there's any sort of turbulence or anything like that, I'm like, yeah. No, because I think all it takes all it takes is either a mechanical error or the pilot thinking, "Don't want to do this anymore." Mm. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's all it takes is someone having a bad. I go, "We're trusting these people. They're pretty tired." I've got a few hard. stories about that actually happening. Uh, yeah, yes. the pilot just deciding, yeah. "I'm out, and I'm taking you all with me." Yeah. yeah. So. That's, yeah, let's start the episode. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Probably good one for me, though. Good one for me to face my fears. Exposure therapy That's here in the podcast studio today. So That's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. All right, so the incident happened in England in June 1990. Okay. This particular flight boarded early on a Sunday morning at mm-hmm. Birmingham Airport, Birmingham sort of in between London and Manchester. Mm-hmm. 
typical grey, drizzly, British day. Everyone on the flight was really excited to mm-hmm. be escaping to the warmth. They were off to Malaga in Spain, which is only like a two-hour flight yeah. away. Most of the 81 passengers were holidaymakers, very keen to get away and just fry themselves mm-hmm. in the Mediterranean sun for a few weeks and come back healing to shreds. Mm-hmm. Uh, The plane took off very smoothly around 8.20am and everything was just peachy keen for the first 13 minutes. The captain's name was Tim and the first officer slash co-pilot's name was Al. I'm looking at your face right now. No, because you know what's what's fearful about this is I read that like 90% or something, some ridiculous number of things happened within the first like between takeoff and landing. So whenever we've we've taken off, I'm usually calmed down and then Mm -hmm. I freak out when they say prepare for landing. Uh-huh. They, were, they were smoothly taken off, babe. Yeah. I can't be calm. <laughs> then I think, what's the point in being stressed? If it's happening, it's happening. I can't exactly. do anything. Yeah. Me freaking out and knowing it's going to happen, I can't, I'm not agile enough. I don't know what, how a plane works. Mm-hmm. So really I should just be relaxing. Mm-hmm. If I'm going down, I'm going down. Anyway, yeah. sorry about my fear of flying. Okay, so 13 minutes, they're in there, they're, they're calm. Yeah, everything's great. Um, for the captain and the co-pilot, first time meeting each other, so they were just having a bit of, like, first date banter, chit-chat, getting Focus to know each other. Focus on the air. Don't care. Don't, I don't care about your fam, the kids. They had, like, 50 years' worth of flying experience between the two of them, don't so they care. were just super chilled as Never they were enough. going along. <laughs> I want them to have tunnel vision. I want them to not care, not, do not speak to each other. Focus on your job. I'm not, I'm not even a part of this. Well, here comes another distraction because um, just as they got to their cruising altitude and Captain Tim switched on the autopilot function, he unbuckled his shoulder harness and loosened his seatbelt so he could get himself nice and comfortable. And that's when one of the flight attendants, a guy called Nigel, came into the cockpit and offered to bring the pilots a bit of morning tea, some refreshments. And he took their orders stepped back out into the galley and just as he was closing the door to the cockpit, he literally still had his hand on the door to the cockpit, no warning, all hell just broke loose completely. And your eyes are very, very wide right now and I'm going to describe what it would be like if you were a passenger. So if you were on this plane, this is what you would have experienced, a tooth-shattering loud bang to begin with and then in an instant, like a flash, all the air inside the plane turned into this really dense fog that it was very difficult to see through. The plane started shaking really violently and it went from ascending upwards to nosediving back down to earth very, very quickly and getting faster all the time. And all the air in the main cabin quickly rushed towards the cockpit, carrying all the loose items in the cabin with it. So like magazines, newspapers, handbags, teddy bears. It's the 90s. Lit cigarettes were flying around the cabin, all just gusting towards the cockpit. So, of course, everyone was screaming. They all assumed there'd been a bomb and the bang was an explosion and the fog, everyone just assumed, was smoke and they all just kind of started to accept the fact that they were going to crash and die. But there was no bomb. The huge bang was the sound of one of the plane's windscreens being blown off the cockpit and causing what's called an explosive decompression. Right. Which is almost like, imagine an airplane-sized balloon bursting. Yeah, look, I have seen TikToks about people getting sucked out of airplanes. I know all about this. Mm-hmm. My algorithm is feeding my fear. It sure is. Yeah, yeah. I watch it. And, and I'm, you're letting it. There's this song that plays. It's like, air, it's like this one account mm-hmm. and he goes, 
<laughs> and if I hear it, I go, shit, better watch just in case. So I know. <laughs> just so you can be <laughs> So I know every way a plane can go down, babe. I know every way. Right. And I've seen this before. Not the not the window, though. Not seen, haven't seen it in my, experience, my, my combined 27 <laughs> years of flying fear. But not yet. But I have seen the door go off. Like, uh-huh. not in real life, obviously. <laughs> but I've heard of it in a TikTok, in a, in a, uh, a reenactment. Okay. Yes. Right. That's awful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. not good. Not ideal. Not ideal. Not ideal. Um, I never really understood how this happened, to be honest. Um, the actual... F- yeah, the pressurization and whatnot. Like, I knew that you could get sucked out of a plane, but I didn't really understand that the way it works is that, you know, the plane's got the pressurized air in mm. there and as it goes up into the sky and there's less pressure up there, the pressure inside the plane just builds and builds, pushing on all surfaces of the plane. So the air's trying to sort of expand and it can't because it's pushing up against glass and metal. But sometimes it finds a weak point like this cockpit windscreen and it just popped off and then all the pressurised air just started rushing out as quickly as it could so that the air could start to sort of equalise. Ah. <laughs> horrified. I'm driving everywhere from now on. I'm, I'll kayak across the Pacific, honestly. I, this isn't too much, okay. <laughs> so all that air rushing out. It had a lot of force behind it and it was snatching anything that wasn't strapped down. And as we know, our man, Captain Tim, wasn't strapped down because he'd just taken his harness off. So in the same second when the windscreen shot off the plane, he was sucked up out of his seat and out the hole where the windscreen was meant to be. And he would have been completely gone like that, sucked out into the sky, but on his way out the window, his feet just by chance, on the control column the pilots used to steer the plane, like, up and down and side okay. to side. Uh-huh. So just through pure luck, feet hooked onto there. Okay. So the top half of his body was outside the plane, pinned to the roof of the plane, sort of bent backwards, but just through pure dumb luck, his legs were still inside and anchoring him Tip to, to pilots the vehicle. wear clown shoes while, <laughs> while operating an airplane. <laughs> Wait, so he's alive though? No, he's dead. Oh, we'll find out. Oh, sorry. Sorry, I'm still a ruiner of stories. All right. (laughs) Um, Not only though were his legs keeping him attached to the plane, they were forcing the plane downwards as fast as it could go because it was pushing the control column all the way forward, making the plane nosedive and making it accelerate at the same time. Okay, well, that's good. Mm. That's good that there's a reason why it isn't just happening. I like that. Okay. Yep. Uh, That all happened in like a second and a half, just instantly windscreen gone, pilot out and nosedive. (laughs) Sorry, that is so terrifying. Surreal. Imagine being out. Is that his name? Yeah, the co-pilot. Yeah. Yeah. Hang on. (laughs) Hang on. Mate, where'd you go? Hang on. You'd think you were hallucinating. You'd think something had happened to your brain. Oh, yeah. And like making it especially confusing is the fog. So all the water vapour that's in the air in the plane suddenly turned into cloud, basically. And that took quite a while to clear through. So it was honestly like he was just sort of suddenly in a dream state or a nightmare state, rather. Yeah. Wild. This is my actual nightmare. (laughs) And so can he see Tim's hoofs attached to the... Eventually, once the fog starts to clear. For a while, they're just up there. Yeah. 
like a thing out the front of a um, car, car dealership. <laughs> yes. Poor thing. Sorry, I shouldn't laugh. I'm fearful that he's not. He doesn't. He's not with us anymore. <gasps> we'll find out soon. God. So in that same instant when that happened, uh, Nigel, the flight attendant who'd just come in to offer them some morning tea, he had the cockpit door ripped out of his hand by that massive rush of air, turned around really quickly to see it get sucked off its hinges and into the cockpit where it jammed itself onto the control panel. And then he's sort of trying to figure out what's going on and through the fog and the wind and the papers and the cigarette missiles flying around through the air, he started to see Tim's situation that was going on or at least the bottom half of the situation. And without thinking, Nigel jumped over and grabbed Tim around his legs and tried his best to pull him back into the cockpit but the plane was going 650 kilometres per hour at this point and the pressure of the wind pulling on Captain Tim's torso was like hundreds of kilos worth. So it was hard enough just to anchor Tim's body. That required a lot of strength. It was impossible for one person to be able to pull the body in against that amount of pressure. But at least he was able to help hold, hold on, to, on him. to Tim. Yeah. Now, they couldn't see it, but up on the roof... Captain Tim, he looked like a drunk guy late in the Arvo at the cricket in the middle of a Mexican wave because, yes, he had his arms above his head. He was topless because the wind had just completely ripped his shirt off. Sorry, sorry. Like a drunk girl in Vegas in a limo. (laughs) (laughs) My God. Uh, On the way to Magic Mike. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. Dreams. We've all got that mental image now. And there they were, five kilometres up in the air in a full speed nosedive, headed for a crash if co-pilot Al couldn't get control of the vehicle. Al, get it together. Uh Stop making small talk. (laughs) I was like, yes, the kids are in great (laughs) (laughs) trouble. That was it. (laughs) I got twins, actually. And then he's like, mate, you there? What? The The name's Susie and Joe. Like. Was it that boring? It was. <laughs> <laughs> All right. He better be focusing, Dal. I hope he wasn't making small talk during his training, honestly. At this point, there was really nothing he could do, though, because Captain Tim's legs were flying the plane. Like, they were steering it down and making it accelerate. So there's no way to, like, override. Not yet. That's so So scary. on his way out the window... Tim turned the autopilot off, which meant that then his controls were the ones controlling Tim, everything. Mate, Tim, Tim, I think this is a stitch up. I reckon Tim thought this was funny <laughs> because the, ter- the chances of Timmy doing that are so slim. That's a joke. Turning off the auto on the way. Oh, step it. Are you joking? Grow up. Tim, grow up. It's not funny. Such a prankster. He's so Naughty pranks. boy, that Tim. I don't oh. like pranks. I don't like this one, Tim. The lengths he's gone to. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so Tim's legs were flying the plane and the cockpit door was also blocking most of the controls. And so Al was like, there's nothing oh, I course, can do. Of course, the door's against the... Yeah. Um, then, thankfully, seconds later, another flight attendant called John came to the rescue. He sorted out the door problem first, stomped on it, smashed it to pieces, got rid of it so Al could start to access the control panel. And then he carefully removed Captain Tim's feet from the control column, which was risky because that was the main thing that was anchoring Tim to the plane. 
Nigel managed to keep a hold of Captain Tim's legs and John then grabbed onto Nigel's belt and strapped his own shoulder into one of the pilot harnesses so that then he could anchor Nigel while Nigel held on to Tim for dear life. And I guess, honestly, this can sound really brutal, but at this point it's either Tim and everyone Mm. or just Tim. This is already running through their minds. Like, sorry, Tim, Mm. you're the one that made the prank. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> Tim, you're the it's time to face Tim. the consequences of your actions. <laughs> Sometimes pranks are wrong. Uh, so co-pilot Al was now able to take control of the plane. Everyone on board, including him, was really struggling to breathe at this point. Almost all the breathable oxygen, pressurised air had rushed out of the plane. No masks? They didn't have masks back then. This plane was built in 1971. So, wow. yeah, it predated that sort of tech. <gasps> So, yeah, everyone's starting to get a little bit woozy, that high up in the sky with no oxygen. They, including him, they were all going to pass out and die if they stayed up there too long. Plus, the air that was now rushing into the cockpit was minus 17 degrees Celsius. I don't even do 17 degrees Celsius. Right. I'm a Queensland girl. Thank Lindsay you. and I were just talking about that before, that we are not okay with what the weather situation's been like lately because, we, yeah, we've been hitting that 17 no, degree mark. They got we're going through, everyone. Yeah. 17 degrees. What? Every, and it was, oh, it's 20. It's so warm. So my friends go, I go to the beach today, it's 20. I go, I don't swim under 28, darling. Are you joking? I'm from the Gold Coast. <laughs> Get a grip. Uh, we'll get this. So with the wind chill factor of the wind coming in that quickly, 650 kilometres an hour, it was really minus 40 oh. degrees inside that cockpit. Because you always see the little, do you ever look at the little um, ice particles on the windows when you're flying? You always think, must be pretty cold out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> minus brisk. 40. Mm-hmm. So Al's top priority was get down to a lower altitude before we all suffocate, pass out, freeze. So for the first few minutes, once he got control, he pretty much allowed the plane to stay in its nosedive, but like under his control just because he needed to get down to where the air was breathable as quickly as possible. Meanwhile, he was just gently praying that they wouldn't collide with another plane on the way down because they were still in a very busy piece of airspace. I've seen this as well in my time on TikTok. Lots of air collisions. I've mm. seen this. I might mm. have seen this on TikTok, to be honest, but I've blocked it out because I don't want to traumatise myself. But I've seen, <laughs> I get fearful whenever we're in clouds to go, they're not going to see one coming. Mm. They're not going to see it coming. And by this point, they were getting quite close to Heathrow Airport, busiest airport in the world. So, like, the chances of running into another plane were quite high because it's not like he could put out a warning to other people to say, hey, guys, give me some space. I've got something to sort out here. He wasn't where he was meant to be. Do you mind if we just pause the Etihad flight today? Oh, my God. Um, So when... He was able to. He started calling ground control, screaming mayday, 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 mayday. So he could he could still get in contact with them. He could people, get in contact but- with them, but he couldn't hear them. So the wind was so noisy in the cockpit, like he couldn't hear any responses coming from the ground. So he was doing his best to sort of explain the most urgent problem the plane was experiencing, the explosive decompression and saying we need to make an emergency landing. But he wasn't sure if anyone was responding to him or not. And how do you even explain that? Because every second that goes by, you're like, you're 
foul, you're like a kilometre more down, right? So how do you even explain, like, um, so this thing's happened, like, like, what the fuck? So the simplest thing was just to follow the basic protocol of we've had an explosive decompression, we have to land mm. immediately. Like, that gets the message across, you've got to find a runway for us to right, land on. Right, right. At this point, he wasn't even bothering with the Captain Tim out the window Tim, of it all. Tim, again. You're the one that caused this. <laughs> I don't know why you think you should be involved in the communication. He, he did it for attention. I'm not giving it to him, you know? Oh, such a Leo move. No, Classic. Such, a, such a Leo move. It's like, babe, he must be Leo, 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 Leo. You know what I mean? Like rising, mm-hmm, moon, moon, sun. All of it, yeah. Meanwhile, the third and fourth flight attendants, they had no idea what was actually going on because they hadn't been anywhere near the cockpit. They were just experiencing what was going on in the cabin. They could tell there was an emergency landing coming though, so they were going around telling all the passengers to get ready, showing them how to do the brace position and making sure everyone knew that as soon as possible they were going to be back on the ground. How are they even speaking or communicating with all this wind and all... How are they even... How are they even able to speak or walk? Mm. Flight attendants, icons. They really are. Love you guys. They do not get enough respect. Mm. People treat them like they're just Abs- a vending machine I in the know. sky. It's awful. It's awful, awful, awful. Three people speak to flight attendants and I always think, you're going to, again, as, as you know, walk on thinking, are we all ready to die today? <laughs> so, so I go, you're going to save my life, Suzanne whoever you are. So I'm very nice to them because I think, God, you might be, I might be your favourite to take off this plane. (laughs) (laughs) One time they gave me some lint balls. I told them I was scared. Isn't that nice? On the way to Perth. Love you, Qantas. And also Virgin and also Jetstar. Don't know who I've got a collab with coming up. Love you all equally. Love you all equally like children, you know. (laughs) Um, So when the plane did get low enough that the air became breathable, Co-pilot Al levelled it out a bit, which meant then he could slow down to like 350 kilometres per hour at this stage, which meant that then Captain Tim's body shifted from being pinned up against the roof with his back flush against the roof of the plane to then sliding down so that he was up against the side window of the cockpit. And he sort of twisted as he went. So he went from having his back pinned on the roof to having his front pressed up against the window. Is so, his back okay? None of him's okay. <laughs> I can't even do like camel pose. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I can't even do like a bridge. Like, how is his back? Not well. It was all being done for him. Yeah. Against poor his darling. Well. The yeah. poor thing. That's awful. Um, but it turned out he was bendier than he even knew. Oh, my God. And the fellas who were in the cockpit could see Tim's face pressed up against the window, covered in blood. He was bleeding from every hole oh, in course. his head and the blood was spraying all over the window, <gasps> down the side of the plane. So if you were sitting in a window seat in the first few rows on the port side of the plane, you would have seen the captain's blood spraying down your window as you were still heading down to this emergency landing and not knowing what was going on unless you happened to be in the front few rows and could actually see into the cockpit. Which is even worse. You know, I don't think you wouldn't know what's going on with poor Tim, but, okay, how come snakes on a plane got made but this isn't a movie? <laughs> Like, this is much more horrifying than some reptiles. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Jesus Christ. Um, I will tell you about there's a documentary where they reenacted this. I'm fine. Thank yeah. you, guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we just, I don't want the visuals. 
Thank you so much, though. Oh, you might want to tune this next bit out. Okay, go, go, um, go, go. Tim's eyes wide open. Oh, Lindsay's gone. <laughs> Lindsay's out. I'm, I'm <laughs> Lindsay's I'm going. Lindsay, la, 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 la. Lindsay literally just <gasps> shot up from her seat like Tim, and she. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, sorry. Not objection. for me. Producer objection. No, sorry. <laughs> can, can I, just to give you content, I'm just very squeamish. I was listening oh. to your nightmare fuel this morning, Abby, with Christian Hull. And oh, the that was. And oh. I, had to ta- I had to tap out, skip. Sorry, you got at least one download from it, but I didn't finish the episode because I could time. not. Just mute it next time. <laughs> just mute it. I didn't care about that. If you listen, I'm not everyone listening to it on mute on repeat. Oh. Um, yeah, bad. Mm. That was bad. Listen to it if you want. It'll be linked in the show notes. Thanks, Lindsay. Uh, but Jacob, feel free to continue and I'll persevere. You're feel okay? Free. All right. <laughs> so Tim's eyes, wide open, not blinking at all. He looked oh. very, very dead. Oh. It was still impossible for Nigel and John to pull him into the cockpit because of the force of the slipstream. And they were reaching a point where they didn't know how much longer they'd be able to hold Tim, on I'm, to I'm him. I'm really sorry for making all those jokes about you being a prankster. I thought he'd live... <laughs> Sorry, Tim. Hang on. He might still make it. We'll see. Ooh, a hook. Doesn't really look like doesn't it at this really, stage. Really, but uh, but okay, there's so, a possibility. Okay. Um, a few more minutes passed before Al started being able to hear ground control and communicate with them and make plans to get the plane on the ground. They told Al he could land the plane at the nearest airport, which was in Southampton, and he was like, I've never been to that airport before in my life. I don't know what it looks like. I also don't have a map of the place because it flew out the window hole. I'd quite like to go to Gatwick Airport if that's okay because at least I know know what to expect there. And the ground controllers were like, okay, well, Southampton's quite a bit closer and you said this was an emergency, but if you want to go to Gatwick, we can try. And then Al was like, okay, Okay. I hear what you're saying. Come on, though. It's those people in the office that... Always find a reason to say no rather than yes, you know? <laughs> and you're like, come on, mate, let me choose which airport I'm going to. Like, oh, yeah, but it's closer. I'm asking you something. Tim's out the window. <laughs> oh, sorry, I was, I was projecting for my office days and someone like, we can't do that because grow up. Yeah, can relate. I've yeah. had similar experiences. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, he decided, all right, it, Probably does make more sense if I get the plane on the ground as soon as possible. So sure, I'll go to Southampton and just hope for the best as long as you can give me some very precise instructions. This will work out, I guess, question mark? Because the plane is still working. It's still functioning as a normal plane. It's just the window's gone. It's the pressure and the people are going to faint or die from lack of oxygen. But now Now they're they're in an altitude where they can breathe. So that's good. (laughs) (laughs) Stay on course (laughs) I'm I'm like I'm on holiday to get to (laughs) I can't cancel my booking This is genuinely my question about all the people who are on board this flight Obviously the plane's about to land At what point do they say So um, when's the next one that's going to take me to Mount Or are they just like actually I'll just go home Yeah (laughs) It's a shame we do have some reservations yeah. I was really looking forward to. How long do you reckon? I reckon <laughs> I think I'd I think I would go, oh great, I'll go through to the little tube, the little what's the thing underneath the water? Oh, the, the tunnel. The tunnel the to get to Paris. Channel, tunnel. I'd yeah. still go on a holiday, I think. Mm. Would you? What would you do? 
I think I'd be fine getting on a plane and I'd probably be one of those Karen-esque type people that's like, so you still owe me a flight to Malaga and I'd like to get there as soon as possible. I'd want some sort of extra payment. I I want some sort of like therapy. I think I might get on the next one because I'd I'd do the numbers and I'd go, well, the chances of that happening were very slim. Yeah. If it happens again. Not going to have a repeat, surely. If it happens again, I mean, you Mm. know, maybe it was just my time, (laughs) you know. So they had their destination a few minutes away, Southampton. Nigel and John really struggling to hold on to Captain Tim, especially poor Nigel. He was holding on to Tim tighter than he'd held on to anything before in his life. And he he said it felt like his arms were being ripped off his body. Nigel needs some physio after this. Oh, yeah. Oh Quite li- needed surgery. His literally. arms literally were being Really? Off. Yeah, he didn't know it yet, but one of his shoulders had already been dislocated. <gasps> And the other one was on its way to being popped out of its socket just purely by the force pulling against Tim's body. And how many minutes, do you know how long this is, they're doing this for, like between? At this stage, he's been hanging on for about 10 to 15 <gasps> minutes, yeah. So he had pretty bad frostbite all over his face and arms because of the freezing cold wind blasting him that whole time. His eyeballs were literally freezing. Ooh. But the worst experience for him in those moments was that he was losing all the feeling in his hands. So he was terrified that he was losing grip on the body and didn't realise it. So he asked if one of the other flight attendants, a guy called Simon, could come to the cockpit and take over yeah, for Simon, him. Simon, I have think a it's go. Simon. Have a, have a crack, Step Simon. Uh, I'd be, I would be, get in here. Everyone get in here. Are you joking? The poor thing. Yeah, shocker. Oh, my God, Nigel. Yeah, did such an amazing job but couldn't go on any longer. So Simon strapped himself into one of the seats in the cockpit and he and John, the other flight attendant, held on to Tim by his ankles. They each took an ankle and just held on for dear life. So then Nigel could go back out into the main cabin and kept on working, started preparing everyone for that crash landing they were expecting. Nigel. Now, Nigel. I know. Isn't he just the best? And at some point in the handover process, one of the men, we don't know who, it doesn't matter who, they've never revealed who it was, but someone asked whether they should just let Tim's body go because, like I said, he looked very, very dead. He'd been outside the plane for more than 10 minutes at this point, extreme cold, deprived of oxygen, winds that could rip your fingernails off. And not only that, but his head and his body had been smashed against the roof and side of the plane again and again. So, of course, it was worth them just weighing up their options and considering whether it was smarter to hang on to the body and risk injury and frostbite for themselves or let it go and just focus on making sure everyone alive on board was safe. Now, the ground control person overheard this question and answered in a frightfully British way by saying, uh... No, if you could, just hang on to him, please. <laughs> if you could. If you wouldn't mind. If you wouldn't mind. If it wouldn't be too much of a bother. Yeah. Um, and co-pilot Al was like, ah, oh, yeah, do, please, hang on to him. Um, Nigel also said, no, you absolutely cannot let him go. He heard that interaction before he left the cockpit. Well, Nigel's got no shoulders left because of this. He's like, <laughs> at this stage, guys. We've come this far. He's like, I've This wasn't for nothing. You can hold on, guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, not only did they feel like it would be in poor taste to let the corpse just fly off into the ether without knowing what or whom it was going to land on. Imagine, oh, 
they knew that chances were if they let the body go, it would get sucked into an engine, make the engine explode <gasps> or destroy a wing and then in those scenarios everyone on the plane was fucked. So it was a major hazard to let go of the body. So they recommitted uh, to hanging on to Captain Tim by the ankles. And I don't think we've had enough time to think about it going through an engine, Jacob. I think, <laughs> I think, I think we need more of an absorption. Picture it, everyone. Mm. It flying through. Mm-hmm. So this is the thing. It was not just lucky for Tim that his feet caught on that control column. Everyone. It was lucky for everyone because, yeah, chances are if he got sucked out, he would have gone straight into an engine. Of course. Engine. Oh, my God. Okay. Mm-hmm. Continue. I've absorbed it. They recommitted. They were going to hang on to Captain Tim for as long as physically possible and just try not to look at his bleeding face smushed up against the window. Oh, God. As they got closer to Southampton Airport, Al was handed over to the ground controller there who was like, okay, decompression problem, is that all? And that's when he was like, well, there's that. And also um, half of the captain is inside the plane (laughs) and the other half is dangling out the cockpit window. Could you please arrange an ambulance or two for when we land? We're pretty sure he's dead, but maybe it'd be good to have an ambo Maybe, you never know. And the ground controller was like, oh, oh, oh. Okay, uh, roger that, yep. Um, and then Al, ever the pragmatist, was like, our plane is still quite heavy because we've hardly used up any of our fuel. I'm going to need at least two and a half kilometres of runway, please. And the Southampton Air Controller dude who was still reeling from the pilot out the window information yeah. was like, so the thing is our longest runway is only 1.7 kilometres. So that meant... <laughs> of course. Uh. Okay. <gasps> poor planning yeah, for poor situations planning. like this. Uh, so that meant there was a pretty high chance the plane could run out of runway and crash or that the plane's tyres could burst if Al tried braking too hard yeah. with too much weight behind them. So, yeah, they could end up in a pretty bad situation. And so then it goes on like fire and then, the, um, and then the plane explodes. Seen that as well. <laughs> <laughs> when the tyre, isn't the one of the, of the, of the, um, the tyre being the wrong way? So there's one time they were trying to land a plane and the issue was when they took off, the only issue with the plane was that the t- the wheel went sideways. So they couldn't land because if they landed, it wouldn't have rolled. It would have just like had friction and caused and, and lit the plane on fire. Oh. Oh. But it didn't because of an iconic pilot who like did all these things. Oh, okay. I don't understand what he did, but I know that he saved them. There's another episode. Right? Mm. I'll try if I see. Actually, I'm just going to send you. When I see it next, this airplane TikTok with all different crashes and you've got, I reckon in a year or two, everyone about this. Everyone go, oh my God, an, an airplane thing? Crazy, new, innovative. And then I'll show you. Sensational. Great. I am now subscribed. Mm. Um, okay, so Al was like, should have gone to Gatwick, but it was too late now to divert to that airport or another one. So he was like, okay, you'll just have to guide me in, give me lots of instructions and... He was just going to hope for the best. He needed to get on the ground. He was freezing his bits off. He'd been deprived of oxygen. He'd experienced shock and terror like he'd never felt before. And now under all that stress, he had to do this landing knowing that it could go horribly wrong. He was aware of all the risks, knew that this was far from over. There were still minutes to go before he got to Southampton. That was some of the most stressful time in his life. 
Also, all the flight attendants very well aware that there was high likelihood that they were going to crash, possibly run right off the end of the runway and into the houses nearby because if they overshot that runway by enough space, they literally could land in the village nearby. But with the help of the air traffic controller, somehow Al managed to make one of the smoothest, softest landings of his career. Absolutely flawless in the industry. They call it a greaser. You might know this from your TikToks. I don't, I don't, but I'm learning lingo. comes in smooth, it's a greaser, oh, baby. Mm. He just landed like a normal flight. Yeah, completely. Yep, no issues whatsoever. The plane came to a very gentle stop. The emergency vehicles drove up to it immediately. Everyone initially was prepared that they'd put the slides out so everyone could evacuate yeah. via them. And they were like, oh, there's really no urgent drama. We can just drive the normal stair cars up to the plane and let everyone disembark that way. Um, how we would be going off the little, uh, what's it even called? The, yeah, how weird just walking off? And like, a holiday in Southampton, I guess. <laughs> They all disembarked and just waited on the tarmac for a while to find out what the next step was going to be. Can I ask something a bit cooked? Please. Tim's body, mm-hmm. at what point, like how did it flop mm-hmm. and at what point? So once they were on the ground, pretty much immediately, they were able to pull him back in to the plane. Just before they came into land, though, a couple of minutes before they hit the ground, he started wiggling his feet. He was alive. Yes. Tim! (laughs) Timmy! They were as shocked as you are right now. Are you trying to tell them? They're like, guys, fuck me. Please don't. Oh, my God. Yeah, they were absolutely stunned, and you can imagine how relieved they were that they hadn't let him go when they were debating that mid-flight. Because I would have said, (laughs) sorry, I would have said let him go. I'm so sorry. Is that bad? That would have killed everybody. Well, if I didn't know that, if I I didn't know that, if that was not a thing, was that bad? Would you have also, if if I thought if he was his head banging against the window, Mm. is that awful? Am I a bad person? Not at all. No, 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 no. I was sure this man was dead. Hence I said, where was what happened to his body? How did his body flop? I would have gone, guys, Nigel's got no shoulders left. Like, what are we going to do? No one have any shoulders in the plane? <laughs> no, is, that awful? is that awful? Everyone take turns until <laughs> we've all dislocated our lips. But, like, is that, I would probably, okay, I would have suggested it. I would have been the person suggesting it. Uh-huh. And they would have been told no one ever called. Oh, no, totally, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just joking. <laughs> totally. No, 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 totally. I thought it was bad totally this Everyone time. Everyone ignore me. Trying to light it with humour. Okay. So um, Tim's alive. Yes. And when the first responders got into the cockpit, they were absolutely expecting they'd be taking Tim out in a body bag. They were stunned to be informed that, in actual fact, he's breathing. And while he was still there in the cockpit, he sort of semi-woke up. What? Enough to say that... It was something Say. along the lines of, I'm still a bit peckish. <laughs> like, oh, because the morning tea. The morning tea didn't come. Yeah, that's right. Because Ni- Nigel didn't bring the morning tea. He's like, bloody Nigel. Where is Where's my n- crumpet? Where's crumpet? Where is it? <laughs> so he could speak. Yes, already. Yeah, he'd barely 
come out of his like blackout state when he said that. But yeah, already he could speak somehow after being frozen and suffocated and like tenderized against the outside of the plane for more than 20 minutes. Seemed completely impossible. After he made that comment about being hungry, he pretty much passed out again. Um, Nigel went outside to announce to everyone on the tarmac that Tim was alive and then he just completely dissolved into tears. Everyone had a very emotional moment because, of course, they're looking up at the plane that is sprayed with blood and they've just found out that the captain, despite all odds, is actually okay. Even the blood loss, you'd think. You know what Mm. I mean? Even if he was just there stationary and every orifice is bleeding, you'd think that he would die from the blood loss. Mm -hmm. Poor Nigel. Yeah. Yeah, big day for Nigel. Big day. Yeah. Big day, Nigel. Um, a few hours later, Captain Tim woke up properly and he's Sorry, only- Sorry, you say a few hours? Hours, yeah. Uh-huh. He didn't even have a concussion. He was in a mild state of shock. He had wow. a small amount of frostbite, less than Nigel had somehow. He had a broken arm, broken wrist and a broken thumb. That was it. No permanent what? damage. Did he have any eyes left? His eyes were totally fine. Nigel experienced really bad frostbite in one of his eyes. And did it lose vision or? It was impaired slightly from there, yeah. Mm. But Tim, eyes were good enough for him to be able to go back to flying planes. No, he didn't. Only five months later. Tim, I think retire. (laughs) Tim, Tim, your prank was funny, but I think it's time to give it up. Mm. I would not be flying planes. Tim. Right. Because he had vivid memories of exactly what happened. He could remember seeing (gasps) the windscreen fly off and shoot away from the plane like a bullet. He could remember the loud explosive bang noise. He could remember the feeling of being sucked out and of struggling to breathe before he then passed out. How is he breathing? How is he even absorbing oxygen? How is he? He'd managed to turn his head upwards which meant that he could look back at the tail of the plane and go, oh, wow, that's the moment he really realised he was outside the plane. And that's when he realised as well, if I get my nose out of the direct wind flow, I can breathe. If you're doing this, you're next like this. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Good to know if I'm ever in this Handy hint. Handy hint. File that one away. Life hack. Mm. Look, it just, it seemed completely impossible that he survived and that all of them had survived, but against all odds they had. And like I said, thanks mostly to good luck. If his feet hadn't caught on the control column, they were screwed. And also if Tim had been a bigger, heavier guy, they probably would have been screwed as well because it would have been that much harder for someone to hang on to him. Thankfully, he was a pretty small guy and also Nigel was an ex-rugby player, which meant that he was strong enough hey, to hang on to him. Even if it was someone luck. who was not, even if it was like someone, like a, like a, you know, like someone older or someone mm-hmm. who was not strong, you would not be able to hold on to the fact that Nigel was so strong. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, Made Nigel, such a difference. Nigel should have been knighted, side note. They got medals from the Queen. The entire crew... <laughs> Got medals from Her Majesty. Thank you, Liz. Thank you. And a few other different awards, decorations and whatnot, which they absolutely deserved. Tim got none of them, which is... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Tim. No, you know why? They all knew. Oh. Also, everyone, to be clear, this prank thing is a joke. If anyone's going to come and DM me and say, how insensitive, it's a bit of banter. Mm. 
Yes, Tim was in no way responsible no, for we what happened. No, Tim. I think we're all aware of that. Allegedly. <laughs> it was a prank. No, there's no allegations here. It's a joke. Mm-hmm. And someone will DM me going, you're disgusting. Oh, that that'll is, be fun. I Sending make jokes that and people decide to go, how dare you? I'm like, oh, my God, do you sit at dinner and not smile? Do you know what I mean? Like, do you sit? Your friends and just speak about eating your plain pasta. Yeah, and go. Oh, how are the kids? Wonderful. Not one smile is cracked. Um, but that's that's amazing. Okay, yeah. so so Nigel, how's the shoulders? Uh, he had to, you know, go through a bit of rehab, but he ended up. He was the only one out of the four flight attendants that got back to flying as well. He spent the next 11 years working as a long-haul flight attendant. He couldn't do the short flights anymore because the planes looked too much like the plane where that incident happened. So he had to be on, like, the big jumbo planes. After September 11th happened in 2001, that was when he was sort of re-triggered with his PTSD Mm. and just went, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Al also kept flying, but he was like, okay, I'm done with British Airways, he went and found a different company to work for. Whereas Captain Tim went back to work, like I said, after only five months off and he went back to British Airways, which I feel like they must have given him a huge payout to keep him on board because Yeah. So So all this just luck. Yes. But it was very bad luck that led to this situation happening. Yes, how did it even So, of course, an investigation happened because British Airways and pretty much every airline was like, how do we make sure that never happens again, please? So the investigation went ahead, turned out just hours before the plane took off, a maintenance engineer had replaced that rogue windshield and that engineer had used the wrong size bolts to screw it into place. All 90 of them, they were the wrong length, the wrong diameter. They weren't tight enough and they didn't go deep enough. They could not do the job. Now, you might Never ask, trust him with an Ikea flat pack. <laughs> Never. <laughs> Are you joking? Mm, well, yeah, this is a guy who doesn't read the instructions. 100% classic. He hadn't referred to the manual and that was just one of the things that went wrong that led to him installing the windscreen with the wrong bolts. Do okay. you want to have a guess, both of you? How many things do you think went wrong in that process? With just the windscreen? Just the windscreen. I can't imagine that there are that many opportunities for fault. I'll say six. 13 reasons why he ended up putting the wrong bolts on that windscreen and didn't realise it. And one of those reasons was they didn't, like, test things out to see if they'd been done correctly. So, like... Every time there was a flight after a repair, that flight was the test to make sure that things had gone well. <laughs> In this case, the Fail. test was a fail. Yeah. 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 yeah big now, one. Jacob, is that still the protocol? Because <laughs> I do get concerned when there's a, a delay. I've had two delays because of maintenance in the last couple of months, and I've gone, this is it. Mm-hmm. This is how it all ends. The good news is this led to a massive overhaul in the aviation industry with all sorts of safeguards put in place. So, you know, boxes had to be ticked, people had to check each other's work, processes had to be followed to the letter that just weren't being followed up until that point because people were just getting... Hang on. When I worked at Boost Juice, (laughs) you had to make sure, you had to double check that the blenders were cleaned correctly by someone else. 
how are we not checking aviation mechanics? Yeah. So the issue back then, they were understaffed. Yeah. Was mm. one of the big problems. Which we are now concerning. Mm. Mm. And they had a massive workload they had to get through, mm. and people were overtired a lot of the time as well. And they all just sort of relied on each other, going like, oh, you've been doing this job for 30 years. You can just eyeball a screw and tell what size it's meant to be. Um, so, yeah, they, they made some big, big changes. We can all breathe a sigh of relief about that based on the learnings that came from this bizarre incident. What other things went wrong? Like, so that he had the other wrong screws, he didn't check the manual? Like, literally didn't check the manual? Hadn't checked the manual. Literally didn't check the manual. didn't check because he figured he could just take the screws out and replace like for like just by eyeballing them and making sure that they looked identical. Um, Also, the way that he was expected to work on the windscreen, he was inside a hangar and sort of working on an awkward angle from the side, whereas he'd normally be working front on. So he couldn't tell that the thread of the screws hadn't quite caught on properly. And also along the way, boxes were not labelled. So even if he had have been looking for um, the correct item, there weren't labels on the boxes of the bolts. So they were, I know, it's just so bizarre. Plus he wasn't wearing his glasses and he was sleep deprived and it was just, the whole thing was a shit show. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. And so it was decided, I mean, the guy's name was never revealed to the public because they sort of went, this isn't the individual's problem. This is a systemic issue. You put a workplace where people don't give a toss about the operating procedures, which are there. They're outlined in black and white. It's just no one's following them. Yeah. So now we've got to implement a lot more discipline. But also maybe like labels on boxes would be good. Maybe maybe also like different coloured screws, different sizes could be good as well. Like that was like step one. Um, Also, they no longer have windows that bolt on from the outside of the plane. So they only get attached from the inside of the plane. So that pressure we talked about before is actually making the windows more secure and more snug. Mm. That could have been implemented in 1910. <laughs> who didn't think of that? That's who's at fault. The person who didn't think of that. He went, let's bolt on from the outside. Faulty design from the get-go. Oh, my That's right. God. Yeah. Okay. So that, my dear, is just the gist of one of the most unlikely survival stories I've ever heard, the averted disaster of BA Flight 5390. And the moral of this one is twofold. Number one, always respect your cabin crew because Mm -hmm. they are there to do so much more than serve you snacks. They are there to save your life in an emergency Mm -hmm. like this. So give them the respect that they deserve. Also, wear your seatbelt. At all times, we've learned this from stories previously. This is the same message that came through in the Juliana Kerbka story. Out of the air. Yes. I thought like the other day on the plane, I was thinking about that episode. I went, seatbelts on, flick people. It in, baby. Yep. yep, she survived because of her belt. And if Captain Tim had left his harness on, which by the way, I didn't realize pilots wear um, seatbelts that are like a kid's car seat where they've got, like, the five attachment points to the Mm. buckle in the middle. They're so cute, babies. Um, So there we go. Okay. If you want more than just the gist, I will post a link to the documentary with a reenactment that Abby's certainly not going to watch, but if you're keen on that sort of thing, you can get amongst it. I don't see Lindsay... Viewing that I think one. Lindsay and I've got we've got the gist. Yeah. And that's what's most important. You know? 
Um, I'll also post a YouTube video of a, another pilot explaining exactly what happened and how if you want to get into like the science and mechanics of it all and also understand how the engineer screwed this all up. And also there's a first-hand account that was written by our hero, Nigel, Aww. called This Is Your Captain Shrieking. <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. Sorry, no, there's not. You know what this is? This, this is my segue. Uh-huh. You, this is, you like your segue? Yeah. <laughs> Shrieking. Computer going, this is your captain. <laughs> Shrieking. <laughs> what did I see that day? I saw blood. How many things I'm with blood? It's just oh. a bit, bit gory. She was shriek, shrieking, speaking. He was a captain. It all comes together. Okay, that's so camp. Mwah. That's so camp. So Is Nigel gay? Can I ask? Do we know? I can't tell. You're literally you, I know crying. Yeah. <laughs> that was too oh my gosh. So good. So good. I just love it. Um, he's got a partner called Jean, but I don't know if that's male or female. I um, mean, I love you, Nigel. Yeah. And I actually, is Nigel well now? What's he doing? Uh, yeah, he became a security guard for a while. Probably retired now. Um, that was like 20 years ago. I go to Spain every weekend. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you so much. I love that. That's my favourite episodes ever. Yeah. That I've listened to in real life or on the podcast. But yeah, thanks for. I feel better about my fear of flying because they all, everyone survived. That's right. Yes. Lived to tell the tale yeah. and got back willingly on airplanes. And yeah, it was before I was fine. even born. So yeah. we've got 30 years. I was thinking about that. Of develop- I know. I, yeah. was, I was still five years off from being born. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> did you tell Mel B that you were born like the year no. her first album came no, out? No, but you know what I did say to her and this is so bad. I said to her and um, Michelle Williams, mm-hmm. I said, because, you know, when you guys were big, I was in grade one. Ah! <laughs> and they're like, you're still really, you're still really important. And I, but yeah, I was just new one, like at the peak. Not that you haven't, you haven't peaked yet. Oh, like, it was, oh, I was crying oh. and I was like. Love you both. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't have been the first person to make that. Oh, yeah. Embarrassing. Yeah. But to two of them at yeah. the same time, Ooh. not good. Um, thank you, babe. Loved it. Best time ever. Mwah. We'll have you back again, please. Bye. Listener.